Hello and welcome to another edition of the Data Monitor Healthcare Analyst Podcast. I'm Zach McClellan, joined by a number of analysts today because we are going to be discussing the 2020 virtual ASCO meeting, the first virtual meeting due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we have a lot of things to go over, so I have the whole team on board. Uh, starting off, we've got Tara. Hi, everyone. Uh, we're also joined by David. Hello, everybody. And finally, Tom. What's up, guys? So we've got a lot to get to. I'm going to jump right in, and I think we'll start off with some lung cancer data that we saw at ASCO this year. So Tara, would you like to start us off? Sure. So at ASCO this year, Roche presented the highly anticipated first data from the Phase two Cityscape study of the TIGID inhibitor terigolumab in combination with the checkpoint inhibitor Tocentric. This study looked at the combination as a first-line treatment for patients with pdl one positive metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, the terigolumab and Tocentric combination showed a 37% overall response rate and a median progression-free survival of 5.5 months in the ITP cohort of the study. And the Tocentric monotherapy arm had an overall response rate of 21% and a median progression-free survival of 3.8 months. Furthermore, a subgroup analysis also showed improved efficacy results in the PDL1 TPS greater than 50% subgroup. In these patients, the combination demonstrated an overall response rate of 66%, which was meaningfully higher than the 24% response rate seen in the tocentric monotherapy arm. They also presented detailed safety results at the meeting. So even though 69% of the patients in the terigolumab arm who did receive dual immunotherapy experienced immune-related adverse events, uh, the presenter said that the majority of these uh, immune and infusion-related adverse events were grade 1 to 2 and were manageable. So overall, these preliminary results were quite promising, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more from this combination in the future. Oh, nice, Tara. Um so do these results support the hypothesized synergy of blocking both the TIGIT and PDL1 pathways? So they definitely do. Um, just for the listeners, I'll give you guys a bit of background. So TIGIT is a protein receptor on immune cells that interacts with the signaling protein CD15, which plays a key role in tumor invasion and migration. And since expression of TIGIT is highly correlated with the co-expression of PD-1 in exhausted T cells, the rationale behind the combination is that if you block both the TIGIT and the PDL1 pathway, that would enhance the anti-tumor activity. So the phase two cityscape trial is actually the first to report results against an active comparator, so Tocentric, and the positive preliminary efficacy results definitely support the hypothesized synergy. Interesting. How about uh, sort of a more market-leading question here? How does the combination compare with the approved checkpoint inhibitors, which are pretty ubiquitous in non-small cell? Yeah, so definitely a good com question. Um, so based on the trials so far, it looks as if they're going to be positioning the combination to compete with Tocentric and Truda monotherapy that are typically used in patients who can't tolerate the combination of chemotherapy and a checkpoint inhibitor. Um, and in this trial, the combination definitely compares well to Decentric. And then in the phase three Keynote 042 and Keynote 024 studies, the Keytruda monotherapy demonstrated a response rate of around 39 to 45%. 
uh, in PDL1 high patients. So the overall response rate of the combination of 66% is definitely better, even if cross-trial comparisons aren't the best. Um, but overall survival still remains the gold standard for first-line non-small cell trials. So we definitely need data from a longer follow-up period and additional patients. So moving into the future now, uh, what does the development plan for this combination look like? Yeah, so Roche recently initiated the pivotal phase three skyscraper O1 trial in non-small cell and the phase three skyscraper O2 trial in small cell lung cancer. And then at ASCO, the presenter announced that skyscraper O1 will now focus exclusively on non-small cell patients with a PDL1 TPS score of greater than 50. So, and it's against uh, dysentric monotherapy. So it'll definitely be interesting to see results from that study. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Well, if there aren't any more questions, I'll move into discussing uh, another non-small cell um, drug. So one of the most anticipated uh, presentations at ASCO was for Tergriso from the Adaura study. Um, so although the third generation EGFR TKI to Grisso has dominated as the preferred first-line treatment of patients with EGFR mutated non-small cell, uh, this presentation was the first numerical phase three data in the adjuvant setting for Tegrisso. Um, back in April, AstraZeneca had actually announced that the data monitoring committee recommended that the trial be unblinded two years early because they determined that um, there was overwhelming efficacy. And at the time of unblinding, the study had completed enrollment and all patients had been followed for at least one year. So the results presented were definitely a bit immature, but they were still very promising. Um, in the presentation, the presenters noted that Tegrisso demonstrated a statistically significant and clinically meaningful improvement in the primary endpoint of disease-free survival uh, in patients with stage three or stage stage two or stage 3A disease. Um, adjuvant treatment after surgery with Tegrisso reduced the risk of disease recurrence or death by 83%. The hazard ratio was an impressive 0 0.17. Um, and obviously it was very statistically significant. Um, and although the data are still pretty immature, the two and three year disease-free survival rates with Tegrisso were 90% and 80%. And that was significantly higher than the two and three year disease-free survival rates of 44 and 28% seen with placebo. Um, let's see, additionally, a significant benefit was still seen in patients with stage 1B disease, but it was, Tegrissa was most effective in patients with later stages. Um, let's see. Also, the early overall survival results looked intriguing, but because the study was unblinded so early, the data are only 5% mature. Uh, so given, and given the early unblinding of the study, the discussant had expressed concerns about future data showing the true overall survival advantage of Tegrisso. Um, so that's definitely something to consider in the future when we see those results. We also need further research to determine if Tegrisso actually eliminates the residual disease or if it just delays the growth of the disease. Um, and what appropriate subsequent therapies might be since Tegrisso is, um, you know, the prominent first-line therapy for EGFR-mutated non-small cell. 
So, you know, there are questions remaining, but these are really impressive data that support the use of Tugreso as an adjuvant treatment. Yeah, definitely an interesting update. Are there currently any adjuvant therapies uh, approved for EGFR mutated non-small cell patients? Uh, so currently, there's only adjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy. It's the standard of care for stage 2 to stage 3 non-small cell and for select patients with high-risk stage 1B disease. So there's not any branded therapies. Um, this is definitely a large commercial opportunity for AstraZeneca. <laughs> and uh, once again, moving forward, uh, what are the next steps for Tegresso and the indication? Uh, so right now, they definitely need longer-term survival follow-up data, but AstraZeneca is actually discussing the data that they currently have with regulatory authorities in order to determine if disease-free survival uh, is sufficient to support filings or if they're going to have to wait for the standard overall survival data. But if the FDA does say that the disease-free survival data is enough, I think AstraZeneca is going to probably file by the end of the year. Wow. Um, are there any potential competitors for this setting? Uh, so historically, this has been a really hard space to break into. Uh, Tarseva, another EGFR TKI, was in development as an adjuvant treatment in the phase three radiant trial. But unfortunately, the trial failed to meet the primary and secondary endpoints. Um, there was some evidence of efficacy in the EGFR mutated subgroup, but Roche didn't initiate any other trials. So right now, any competition uh, is just an early stage trial, so Tegresso would be able to pretty much dominate for a while. Nice. All right. Thanks, Tara. Uh, I think we can move on to another area, another indication. Uh, let's move on to, I believe it's bladder cancer. And Tom, would you like to take us through that? Yep, bladder cancer or um, urothelial, uh, urothelial carcinoma to be precise. So we have the first numerical results from Avelumab in Javelin Bladder 100. So uh, Avelumab was already approved in uh, bladder cancer about three years ago after a much smaller study. But these results are significant because it's the first um, findings for a pdl one inhibitor in in the maintenance therapy setting of urothelial carcinoma. And the results seem to be good. So we have a seven-month improval of overall survival over uh, basic supporting care alone, best supporting care alone. Um, and it also appears that PFS has improved, although we haven't quite seen we haven't quite seen numerical results for that, only a hazard ratio, which looks good so far, but we'll have to wait for data to mature before we can make any more complete appraisal about that. So um, this means that Bevencio, uh, after playing very much second fiddle to other PDL1 inhibitors in the in the disease, might have found itself a new niche within urothelial carcinoma where it is relatively unchallenged. Interesting. Yeah, I was wondering if you could maybe expand on that a little bit. How has it been performing in the indication prior to this announcement? Do we have any idea? Uh, yes. So we have. Um, it was approved in 2017, as I mentioned, in second line uh, metastatic disease. And unfortunately, its approval there has been fairly subpar because of the preval uh, prevalence of various other 
PDL1 inhibitors uh, such as Keytruda and Decentric, which were approved based off far larger pivotal phase three trials and are more familiar to and are more familiar to physicians. So this very much will allow uh, will allow Bevencio its own mostly unchallenged niche. And so um, what is the significance of the findings in, in maintenance therapy? Well, currently there's no uh, there's no new treatments available for uh, maintenance therapy in uh, urethelial carcinoma. It was due to this that the FDA granted Bevencio a uh, a breakthrough status in bladder cancer. And so uh, I, th- I think if uh, with as this data matures, if it still looks good, we'll probably see an expedited approval. Uh, are there any other competitors in this treatment setting, perhaps on the horizon? As of yet, no, uh, especially not any other PDL1 inhibitors, which was their main obstacle for success in, uh, in second line disease. However, there is an ongoing phase three Potomac trial of uh, Infinzi Devalimab in, as an as a induction and maintenance therapy. That is due to release its first results in 2021 or 2022. So that may be a future competitor. But if uh, if Bevencio is rolled out quickly enough, it should be unchallenged for a fair amount of time. So, Tom, at this point, what lies ahead for Bevencio and bladder cancer? So it's become clear that they've struggled to compete in uh, second line metastatic disease. And uh, unfortunately, uh, maintenance therapy is very much a smaller market than uh, than those of than the other uh, than those of other PDL1 inhibitors. However, um, the drug is pretty used to uh, playing second fiddle to the uh, to the various other drugs of its class, such as Opdivo and Keytruda. So it looks like, uh, relatively speaking, a success story for Avalimab, and it's uh, very likely it will it will establish its own little niche within this indication. There are no other questions. Uh, do you want to take us into the next topic or event that you'd like to discuss, Tom? Sure thing. So we had uh, what appears to be the final uh, results from TiVo3, which is a trial looking at Tivazanib in uh, third and fourth line renal cell carcinoma uh, with an active comparator of serafinib. Now, it has reached its... Uh, uh, primary endpoint of progression-free survival, uh, but crucially, its uh, overall survival is actually inferior by by several months to serafinib. And um, this is interesting because this might be the end of a long saga between uh, the sponsors of between the sponsors of uh, Tivazanib's development and the FDA, with um, regulatory issues going back several years now. Um, what, what what's the mechanism for tivozanib? So it's a tyrosine kinase uh, inhibitor, but unlike a lot of the other TKIs present in renal cell carcinoma, it acts solely on uh, VEGF receptors, and uh, it's hypothesized that that would give it gr- a greater deal of specificity and also maybe reduce toxicity. 
Uh, that appears to be the case, but uh, there are other concerns which regulators have pointed out. So Tiva Zanev was approved several years ago in Europe. Why is it not approved in the US yet? So it was approved in Europe based off their earlier trial, uh, also using serafinib as an active comparator, um, TiVo1. And that was in first and second line renal cell carcinoma. Now, very much like TiVo3, TiVo1 uh, reached its primary endpoint of a superior PFS to serafinib but again, uh, showed a, actually a shorter overall survival to uh, serafinib. And while the, uh, that appeared to be enough for the EMA, um, the FDA took great issue with this and did not approve it. Okay, interesting. Thank you. Um, is Tibuzanib still trying to get approval in the U.S.? Uh, yes, they are. And uh, this looks like its last chance. The FDA... Uh, is now considering approval for uh, for Tivozanib based on TiVo1, TiVo3, and two follow-ups uh, of TiVo1. Um, and if it were to be approved in the U.S., how would it fare in the U.S. market? Uh, well, that's very much the question. Perhaps if this was five years ago, it would have fa uh, fared very well. Unfortunately, in both first frontline and previously treated renal cell carcinoma, patients. We're seeing now uh, that um, treatment regimens based on checkpoint inhibitors, particularly pdl one antagonists, have very much become the standard of care. Many of them do, many of them do involve other, um, other TKIs, such as the pembrolizumab acetinib com uh, combination. However, Tivazanib has no plans to be explored in a combination, so it may not uh, it may not uh, perform as well as it would have had it been approved four years ago. Interesting. In light of uh, sort of those issues and this announcement, what is the drug's future? I guess in the U.S. market potentially, and just overall in renal cell carcinoma look like? Well, uh, I'm afraid probably not very good. Um, I don't want to say anything definitively yet because the FDA have not made their decision yet. But the fact that TiVo1 failed to uh, show any benefit in overall survival, even though OS was not the primary endpoint of the trial, was very heavily criticized by the FDA. Uh, I believe uh, in a meeting they said something along the lines of uh, uh, the approval of a drug which tends towards lower survival than the, uh, than the standard of care would be unprecedented. So really quite scathing criticism. And with TiVo3 again showing a lower overall survival than the comparator arm, it's not looking good. All right. Well, thank you that, uh, for that update, Tom. Uh, I think we can move on to some, I believe, heme indications. Uh, David, over to you. Yeah, so my first abstract is on AML. Um, this is abstract 7506 for Takeda's pevonetostat. Uh, Pevonetostat is the first and only inhibitor of the NET8 activating enzyme and disrupts proteasomal degradation of select proteins, um, including some involved in DNA repair. At ASCO, we saw results from a phase two randomized trial comparing Pevonetostat combined with azacitidine to azacitidine alone in frontline patients with either higher risk MDS, higher risk CMML, or low blast AML. 
This trial was designed to support accelerated regulatory approval for pavinidisat, but it reported mixed results. So any regulatory submissions will now have to wait for results from a phase three trial. So I said, you know, there's mixed results. So maybe start with the bad news. Um, in the intent to treat population, which includes all three types of patients, the trial failed to meet both the primary endpoint of overall survival and the secondary endpoint of event-free survival. Overall survival was 22 months for the combination versus 19 months for azacitidine alone um, with a hazard ratio of 0.82. So there was a trend for increased overall survival, but it was not very strong and, uh, and it wasn't statistically significant. For the secondary endpoint of event-free survival, there was a more substantial trend favoring the combination arm with event-free survival of 21 months versus 11 months and a hazard ratio of 0.66, but again, it was not significant. When investigators looked at the different subgroups of patients, overall survival was still not significantly improved in any of these subgroups. However, both the MDS and the AML subgroups showed, again, numerical improvements in favor of the combination arm. Uh, for the MDS subgroup, it was uh, 24 months overall survival versus 19 months with a hazard ratio of 0.70. Uh, for the AML subgroup, it was 21 months versus 17 months with a hazard ratio of 0.49. The CMML population, subpopulation fared the worst, um, reporting an overall survival ha hazard ratio of, of 4.3. Uh, and so this combination does not look very promising for CMML. Um, the better news is that event-free survival was, signific was significantly improved in the MDS subgroup of 67 patients um, with the pebonetostat combination arm reporting an event-free survival of 20 months versus 15 months for the azacitidine arm um, with a hazard ratio of 0.539. Um, for the AML subgroup, the event-free survival definition was equivalent to overall survival, and so no event-free survival results were presented. Um, and then for the CML population, they did not fare well on event-free survival either, reporting a hazard ratio of 7.5. With regards to the next steps for pevonetostat, there is an ongoing phase three trial that is similar to this phase two trial. Um, the trial initiated in November 2017 and has an estimated primary completion date of November 2020. The trial is enrolling first-line patients, again with high-risk MDS, CMML, and low-blast AML, um, and the primary endpoint is event-free survival. So for now, we have to wait and see if the event-free survival endpoint could be met in a larger trial. All right, thank you, David. Uh, did the investigators happen to present any response rate data? Yeah, they presented response data for the MDS subgroup and showed a near doubling of the complete remission rate from 27% for the azacitidine arm to 52% for the combination arm. Um, in addition, the median duration of response was 35 months for the combination arm compared to 13.1 months for azacitidine alone. Um, however, they did not present any response data for AML. So, David, the trial used azacitidine as a comparator. So is this the standard of care for high-risk MDS and then also kind of as a follow-up uh, for low-blast AML? So there are not too many therapeutic options for MDS, and azacitidine is currently the standard of care. Uh, for, a for elderly AML patients not suited for intensive care chemotherapy, azacitidine used to be the standard of care, but is being replaced by azacitidine combined with the venclexta. So I think for low-blast AML, azacitidine is no longer the best competitor, com comparator. 
Um, interestingly, now there's uh, there's now a phase two trial evaluating pevonetostat combined with venclexta anisus and azacitidine in elderly AML patients um, not suited for chemo. So this is not just low blast AML, but um, a wider setting. Um, so you know, th this might be the best the best path forward for AML. Interesting. Thank you. Um, and then just kind of as a follow-up, did the investigators offer any explanations for why the CMML population subpopulation did so poorly? Um, they noted that only such only 17 such patients were enrolled um, and speculated that perhaps a small population and patient heterogeneity played a role in this result. Nonetheless, this combination is not very promising for CMML and may have contributed to the uh, primary endpoint not being met. So what were the safety results like? So although grade three or higher adverse events were reported in 90% of patients, um, the safety profile of pevonetostat combined with azacitidine was similar to azacitidine alone um, and did not lead to increased myelosuppression. Um, the discussion was actually uh, pretty positive uh, about this. Um, and so this can make, you know, this could be is, is good news for the other combination studies like the, the triple combination with Vinclexta and azacitidine for AML. All right, um, so if there are no other questions, I'll now go ahead and um, talk. Uh, move to multiple myeloma. Um, this is uh, abstract 8504 um, about Bristol-Myers Squibb's BCMA-directed CAR-T therapy Orbicel for relapse refractory multiple myeloma. Um, Orbicel, also known as JCAR-H125, is being evaluated in EVOLVE, a phase 1-2 trial enrolling heavily pretreated multiple myeloma patients. Aside from the Orbicel data, um, we also saw updated data from two other BCMA-directed CAR-T therapy, Bristol-Myers' other CAR-T offering, Idacel, and J&J's J&J4528. So similar to the trials for the other two CAR-Ts, the EVOLVE trial enrolled patients with a median of six prior lines of therapy, with 94% of patients being refractory um, to the three major classes of multiple myeloma therapies, uh, namely a protease inhibitor, an immunomodulator, and an anti-CD38 antibody. So these are patients without too many other options. Um, at ASCO, we saw results from the final three doses of the, escal of the dose escalation part of the trial. So the, uh, we saw results from the 300, 450, and 600 million cell dose, with the 600 million cell dose selected for the dose expansion part of the trial, which is still ongoing. As seen with other CAR-T therapies, the uh, responses improved as the dose increased. Um, and across the three doses, 62 patients were evaluated, and the overall response rate was 92%, uh, with complete remission, including stringent complete response, seen in 36% of patients, which is just exceptional for these patients. Um, usually in these heavily pretreated patients, we'll see uh, a stringent complete response um, rate of, of, of 1% or 2%, so 36% uh, is great. Um, at ASCO, the investigator noted that the median follow-up in the 600 million cell dose, that, that highest dose, was just 2.3 months, and so some of the uh, partial response or very good partial responses may still deepen into complete responses. Patients with a partial response or better at month three were evaluable for MRD negativity. And in the 25 patients evaluated, 84% were found to be MRD negative. In the 300 million cell cohort, uh, median progression-free survival was 9.3 months, 
but was not yet reached in the other cohorts. Um, in terms of safety, kind of something we always look at for CAR-T therapies, um, the rate of grade three or higher cytokine release syndrome in grade three or higher neurological events were each at 3%. Macrophage activation syndrome, or MAS, is emerging as an adverse event related to CAR-T therapy um, and is associated with severe cytokine release syndrome. So MAS was seen in 5% of patients, and there was one case of grade 5 AMS in the context of grade 1 cytokine release syndrome. So this side effect will need to be monitored closely going forward. Uh, so overall, these are terrific responses for these heavily pretreated patients. Um, but still, the feeling at ASCO was that, you know, given the expense and complexity of CAR-T therapy, we need to have long-lasting remissions, you know, in 20 to 30% of patients. Um, we need to have that tail and it would be nice to also be able to double or triple progression-free survival for those that cannot be cured. Um, for Orvacel, it is still too early to, to determine if we have achieved these objectives, um, but these will be looked at closely as results come in from the phase two part of the trial. So David, those results were pretty promising, but uh, how do they compare to the two other BCMA-targeted CAR-Ts? Um, they're pretty comparable to what was seen for the other two CAR-T therapies. So the 92% overall response rate compares to the 100% overall response rate seen for J&J 4528 and the 73% overall response rate seen for IDASEL. Um, the rate of complete remission, including stringent complete remission, was 36%, which is comparable to the 33% rate seen for IDASEL, but not as high as the 81% rate seen for J&J 4528. I will add the caveat there that, you know, these aren't, these weren't exactly the, the same um, patient populations. I mean, they were all heavily pretreated, but there, there could be differences that might explain these, these differences in complete remission mates. Um, finally, the MRD negativity rate of 84% compares to the 94% rate seen for IDASEL and the 81% rate seen for J&J 4528. Um, in terms of safety, the 3% rate of grade 3 or higher uh, cytokine release syndrome was lower than the 6% rate seen for IDASEL and the 7% rate seen for JJ4528. Um, the 3% rate of grade 3 or higher neurotoxicity was the same for the other two therapies, which also reported rates of 3%. Interesting. So maybe in summation, are there any differentiating factors for these three CAR-T therapies in multiple myeloma? Um, sure. So, IDASEL is positioned to be the first to market with uh, FDA approval expected in early 2021, um, even though there's been some missteps, but we now expect approval in early 2021. Um, the um, so it differs a little bit from IDASEL in that the BCMA binder was designed to bind with lower affinity um, to free BCMA, which is shredded, which is shedded from myeloma cells. Um, and so be more specific for the BCMA found on the surface of the cells. Orvacel is also manufactured to have a specific ratio of CD4 cells to CD8 cells, which could result in increased safety. It is also designed to be enriched for memory T cells uh, for a more durable response. Um, finally, the, the last CAR-T therapy, J&J4528, has two BCMA binding domains uh, for greater avidity, and this allows it to be used at doses that are about tenfold lower uh, than the other two CAR-T products. Um, interestingly, this results in a longer median time to cytokine release syndrome, so seven days versus one to two days uh, for the other CAR-T products. So what's next for Orvacel now? 
So the phase two portion of the trial is enrolling at the 600 million cell dose. And although Bristol-Myers has not clarified the regulatory path forward, I believe this will be the pivotal trial. Um, the trial has an estimated primary completion date of March 2023, which puts its approval significantly behind both IDA-Cell and J&J 4528, uh, which are expected to be approved in early and late 2021, respectively. Um, the phase two trial is enrolling a, um, a cohort who progress after BCMA-directed therapy, so it will be interesting interesting to see what kind of activity um, it shows in that setting. Um, and speaking more generally, kind of some more, some important questions going forward uh, for these BCMA CAR-T therapies is what, you know, is what is the mechanism of resistance? Um, it could be due to loss of BCMA or the loss of CAR-T cell activity, um, kind of the, the CAR-T, the T cells kind of quieting down. Um, another important question is whether these CAR-T therapies can be given as outpatient treatments. Um, finally, uh, some of the BCMA bispecific uh, antibodies, although further behind in development, have shown promise, so it will be interesting to see how they uh, measure up to the CAR-T therapy. All right, thank you, David. I think we can move on to our last section here, the Post-ASCO podcast, which is my section, and that's sort of just a summary of some early phase data from uh, solid tumor indications. Uh, the first one I'd like to highlight is actually code break 100, which is AMG 510, the KRAS G12C inhibitor uh, in some solid tumors. So Amgen presented updated colorectal cancer and other solid tumor cohort data from the phase 1-2 code break 100 basket study for their novel KRAS G12C inhibitor, uh, AMG 510, also known as Soteracib. Uh, it was presented in an oral, a special presentation session at the meeting. So I think at this point, just about everyone knows about KRAS and how it's one of the most common oncogenes implicated in approximately one-third of all human cancers. So huge clinical and commercial implications for a successful drug here. Uh, however, KRAS activation is particularly associated with colorectal, non-small cell lung cancer, and pancreatic cancer, uh, so that's where a lot of development, at least for these early clinical um, assets, has been focused. Again, uh, part of the KRAS story, despite a ton of development over the years, it has mostly been considered a druggable until recent therapies targeting these certain confirmations like G12C. Uh, notably from AMG 510, has shown some signs of efficacy. So AMG 510 in particular initially caught the spotlight at last year's ASCO as the first KRAS inhibitor to show positive clinical data in KRAS G12C mutant non-small cell lung cancer. However, the results presented this year at the virtual meeting were considerably more lackluster, uh, and they were limited to the CRC and other non-NSCLC solid tumor cohorts. So from the update for colorectal patients, the poster presentation was largely similar to outcomes released in the initial abstract that showed an overall response rate of 12% and disease control rate of 80% in the highest and most efficacious dose, co dose cohort of 960 milligrams. This is only a marginal improvement over the ORR results from the 12 patient readout at ESMO in 2019, which showed an 8% ORR and 92% DCR. Uh, new data presented at the meeting did include a median PFS of 4.2 months for the 960 milligram dose cohort and four month median PFS across doses. 
Additionally, median OS was 10.2 months in the overall population and median OS was not reached in the 960 milligram cohort. Uh, the drug did maintain a favorable safety profile with mostly grade one and two adverse events. So further, uh, results for tumor types other than non-small cell and colorectal cancer were somewhat uninspiring as well. Of 22 evaluable patients, only three partial responses were recorded, one each in appendiceal, melanoma, and endometrial cancer. Some efficacy was seen in pancreatic cancer patients, where three of the six uh, stable disease outcomes approached 30% tumor reduction by RASIS criteria. However, these outcomes likely do not necessitate further development outside of a potential combination regimen. So in summary here, uh, a mixed bag for AMG 510 and KRAS at the meeting. So with these potentially discouraging findings in mind, what does AMG 510's development plan look like now? So it's subsequently being studied in the ongoing phase two portion of Code Break 100, uh, particularly in non-small cell lung cancer patients. Uh, just a little bit of background, at ESMO last year, it achieved a 54% overall response rate in non-small cell lung cancer patients, so definitely much improved efficacy in that cohort. Uh, and they're also going to begin phase three investigations for AMG 510 uh, following the announcement of the phase three Code Break 200 trial in lung cancer as well. So you talked about two indications, but is there potential for agnostic development? Yeah, good question. Likely not. It started off in this basket study um, looking for, you know, that potential efficacy across all of those tumor types which have KRAS implications. But as from, you know, what we've seen at the various meetings, uh, efficacy is sort of limited to a few key indications and seems to be very limited to non-small cell lung cancer primarily. So. Uh, development is really focusing on lung cancer going forward. So for development, um, are there any other KRAS inhibitors that could compete with this in the future? Long term, potentially, but there's not really too much else on the horizon in terms of clinically uh, active KRAS inhibitors. So there are six other drugs currently in either phase one or one two development with varying mechanisms. Uh, I believe the most advanced is Selenseed's SIG12D loader, which is a miniature biodegradable polymeric matrix that encompasses an anti-KRAS-G12D siRNA drug. Uh, and I believe that's in phase two for pancreatic cancer. So not a direct competitor at the moment, and there are some drugs in early phase development, but AMG is the most developed at this point. All right, if there are no other questions, I'll move on to the last presentation for our podcast today, uh, and that is the phase one uh, data for ADP, A2M4, spear T cells in advanced solid tumors. Uh, so we did get an update from a phase one trial of ADP, A2M4, which is a MAGE A4 directed autologous spear T cell engager at a special session at the conference, and the trial examined the drug safety and tolerability as well as preliminary efficacy in HLA A2 positive advanced tumor types that express MAGE A4. So, as mentioned, the trial tested ADPA 2M4 across tumor types, but the majority of patients, uh, N equals 16 in this case, uh, had synovial sarcoma 
a hard to treat disease. Uh, the cohort also did experience the best responses on treatment from that trial with a 44% confirmed ORR and 90% DCR. Uh, importantly, responses in this cohort were durable with a 28 median duration of response, and some patients remained on treatment for over one year. Uh, synovial sarcoma patients treated with ADPA2M4 also achieved a median PFS of 20 weeks, while median OS had not been reached at the time of data cutoff. So the drug was also reasonably well tolerated. The majority of AEs were hematologic uh, and likely attributable to the high-dose lymphodepletion regimen prior to ADP-A2M4 administration. Uh, among these patients in the safety population, there were high rates of grade 3 or greater, greater lymphopenia, leukopenia, neutropenia, as well as anemia, which occurred in 97, 92, 89, and 63% respectively. Additionally, two fatal grade 5 serious AEs of aplastic anemia and cerebrovascular accident occurred. Uh, this actually led to changes in the protocol to include a less intense lymphodepletion regimen and a lower age cutoff. Uh, however, immunotherapy-associated AEs, so uh, AEs associated with therapy itself, uh, were relatively on par with other cell therapies. Uh, grade 1, 2 cytokine release syndrome, for example, occurred in around 50% of patients, uh, and grade 3 or higher CRS occurred in only 5% of patients. And finally, another hallmark of these type of treatments, serious neurotoxicity only occurred in one patient, which is uh, around 3% of the overall population. Fantastic, thank you. Um, so just for the benefit of the listeners, could you define what spear T-cells are? Yeah, so this is a quote-unquote a spear T-cell. It's a TCR T-cell therapy. Uh, it actually stands for Specific Peptide Enhanced Affinity Receptor T-cell Therapy. Uh, so essentially they're just modified T-cells. Uh, the platform uh, from the company actually modifies the complementary determining regions or CDRs of the variable region of the TCR in T-cells uh, collected from patients. And essentially, these are engineered to recognize the target peptide on cancer cells, uh, in this case, MAGE-A4. So uh, just another T-cell therapy with a pretty cool name. Um, so how prevalent is the target peptide, this MAGE-A4? Uh, the prevalence actually varies by tumor type, of course. Uh, some of the highest frequencies are estimated to occur in around 88%, 73%, 70%, and 58% in synovial sarcoma, bladder, melanoma, and squamous lung cancer, respectively. So pretty high prevalence in some key indications. So what's next for ADP-A2M4's development? Yeah, so these are early phase data, uh, but ADAPT immune these, these results support uh, their ongoing phase two spearhead one trial as registrational, uh, and that trial is testing ADP uh, A2M4 in advanced synovial sarcoma or myxoid or round cell liposarcoma. Uh, and that trial has uh, top line results expected uh, later this year. So potentially some positive outcomes forthcoming here. And if nobody else has any other questions, uh, that's pretty much going to do it 
for this edition of the podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening. For additional ASCO coverage, please go to uh, the Data Monitor as well as Biomed Tracker websites. We had a planner, pre-report, weekend update, uh, as well as a post-report and this podcast for all of your ASCO coverage needs. Once again, thank you for listening. Uh, We'll catch you next time.